Chapter Seventeen of A Legend of Montrose. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. A Legend of Montrose by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter Seventeen. The march begins in military state and nations on his eyes suspended wait stern famine guards the solitary coast and winter barricades the realms of frost he comes nor want nor cold his course delay vanity of human wishes by break of day montrose received in his cabin old mackay and questioned him long and particularly as to the means of approaching the country of argyle he made a note of his answers which he compared with those of two of his followers whom he introduced as the most prudent and experienced he found them to correspond in all respects but still unsatisfied where precaution was so necessary the marquis compared the information he had received with that he was able to collect from the chiefs who lay most near to the destined scene of invasion and being in all respects satisfied of its accuracy he resolved to proceed in full reliance upon it in one point montrose changed his mind having judged it unfit to take the boy kenneth into his own service lest in case of his birth being discovered it should be resented as an offence by the numerous clans who entertained a feudal enmity to this devoted family he requested the major to take him in attendance upon himself and as he accompanied this request with a handsome douceur under pretence of clothing and equipping the lad this change was agreeable to all parties it was about breakfast-time when major dalgetty being dismissed by montrose went in quest of his old acquaintances lord menteith and the macaulays to whom he longed to communicate his own adventures as well as to learn from them the particulars of the campaign it may be imagined he was received with great glee by men to whom the late uniformity of their military life had rendered any change of society an interesting novelty allan macaulay alone seemed to recoil from his former acquaintance although when challenged by his brother he could render no other reason than a reluctance to be familiar with one who had been so lately in the company of argyle and other enemies major dalgetty was a little alarmed by this sort of instinctive consciousness which allan seemed to entertain respecting the society he had been lately keeping he was soon satisfied however that the perceptions of the seer in this particular were not infallible as ronald mackay was to be placed under major dalgetty's protection and superintendence it was necessary he should present him to those persons with whom he was most likely to associate the dress of the old man had in the meantime been changed from the tartan of his clan to a sort of clothing peculiar to the men of the distant isles resembling a waistcoat with sleeves and a petticoat 
all made in one piece this dress was laced from top to bottom in front and bore some resemblance to that called polonaise still worn by children in scotland of the lower rank the tartan hose and bonnet completed the dress which old men of the last century remembered well to have seen worn by the distant islemen who came to the earl of mars standard in the year seventeen fifteen major dalgetty keeping his eye on allan as he spoke introduced ronald mackay under the fictitious name of ronald mcgillahurran in benbecula who had escaped with him out of argyle's prison he recommended him as a person skilful in the arts of the harper and the senachy and by no means contemptible in the quality of a second-sided person or seer while making this exposition major dalgetty stammered and hesitated in a way so unlike the usual glib forwardness of his manner that he could not have failed to have given suspicion to allan m'aulay had not that person's whole attention been engaged in steadily perusing the features of the person thus introduced to him this steady gaze so much embarrassed ronald mackay that his hand was beginning to sink down towards his dagger in expectation of a hostile assault when allan suddenly crossing the floor of his hut extended his hand to him in the way of friendly greeting they sat down side by side and conversed in a low mysterious tone of voice menteith and angus m'aulay were not surprised at this for there prevailed among the highlanders who pretended to the second sight a sort of freemasonry which generally induced them upon meeting to hold communication with each other on the nature and extent of their visionary experiences does the sight come gloomy upon your spirits said allan to his new acquaintance as dark as the shadow upon the moon replied ronald when she is darkened in her mid-course in heaven and prophets foretell of evil times come hither said allan come more this way i would converse with you apart for men say that in your distant islands the sight is poured forth with more clearness and power than upon us who dwell near the sassanac while they were plunged into their mystic conference the two english cavaliers entered the cabin in the highest possible spirits and announced to angus m'aulay that orders had been issued that all should hold themselves in readiness for an immediate march to the westward having delivered themselves of their news with much glee they paid their compliments to their old acquaintance major dalgetty whom they instantly recognized and inquired after the health of his charger gustavus i humbly thank you gentlemen answered the soldier gustavus is well though like his master somewhat bearer on the ribs than when you offered to relieve me of him at darlinverac and let me assure you that before you have made one or two of those marches which you seem to contemplate with so much satisfaction in prospect you will leave my good knights some of your english beef and probably an english horse or two behind you both exclaimed that they cared very little what they found or what they left provided the scene changed from dogging up and down 
angus and aberdeenshire in pursuit of an enemy who would neither fight nor run away if such be the case said angus macaulay i must give orders to my followers and make provision too for the safe conveyance of annot lyle for an advance into macallum moore's country will be a farther and fouler road than these pinks of cumbrian knighthood are aware of so saying he left the cabin annot lyle repeated dalgetty is she following the campaign surely replied sir giles musgrave his eye glancing slightly from lord menteith to allan macaulay we could neither march nor fight advance nor retreat without the influence of the princess of harps the princess of broadswords and targets i say answered his companion for the lady of montrose herself could not be more courteously waited upon she has four highland maidens and as many bare-legged gillies to wait upon her orders and what would you have gentlemen said allan turning suddenly from the highlander with whom he was in conversation would you yourselves have left an innocent female the companion of your infancy to die by violence or perish by famine there is not by this time a roof upon the habitation of my fathers our crops have been destroyed and our cattle have been driven and you gentlemen have to bless god that coming from a milder and more civilized country you expose only your own lives in this remorseless war without apprehension that your enemies will visit with their vengeance the defenceless pledges you may have left behind you the englishmen cordially agreed that they had the superiority in this respect and the company now dispersing went each to his several charge or occupation allan lingered a moment behind still questioning the reluctant ronald mackay upon a point in his supposed visions by which he was greatly perplexed repeatedly he said have i had the sight of a gale which seemed to plunge his weapon into the body of menteith of that young nobleman in the scarlet-laced cloak who has just now left the bothy but by no effort though i have gazed till my eyes were almost fixed in the sockets can i discover the face of this highlander or even conjecture who he may be although this person and heir seem familiar to me have you reversed your own plaid said ronald according to the rule of the experienced seers in such case i have answered allan speaking low and shuddering as if with internal agony and in what guise did the phantom then appear to you said ronald with his plaid also reversed answered allan in the same low and convulsed tone then be assured said ronald that your own hand and none other will do the deed of which you have witnessed the shadow so has my anxious soul a hundred times surmised replied allan but it is impossible were i to read the record in the eternal book of fate i would declare it impossible we are bound by the ties of blood and by a hundred ties more intimate we have stood side by side in battle and our swords have reeked with the blood of the same enemies it is impossible i should harm him that you will do so answered ronald is certain 
though the cause be hid in the darkness of futurity you say he continued suppressing his own emotions with difficulty that side by side you have pursued your prey like bloodhounds have you never seen bloodhounds turn their fangs against each other and fight over the body of a throttled deer it is false said macaulay starting up these are not the forebodings of fate but the temptation of some evil spirit from the bottomless pit so saying he strode out of the cabin thou hast it said the son of the mist looking after him with an air of exultation the barbed arrow is in thy side spirits of the slaughtered rejoice soon shall your murderers swords be dyed in each other's blood on the succeeding morning all was prepared and montrose advanced by rapid marches up the river tay and poured his desultory forces into the romantic vale around the lake of the same name which lies at the head of that river the inhabitants were campbells not indeed the vassals of argyle but of the allied and kindred house of glenorchy which now bears the name of Bredelbane. being taken by surprise they were totally unprepared for resistance and were compelled to be passive witnesses of the ravages which took place among their flocks and herds advancing in this manner to the vale of loch dochart and laying waste the country around him montrose reached the most difficult point of his enterprise to a modern army even with the assistance of the good military road which now leads up by tenedrum to the head of loch awe the passage of these extensive wilds would seem a task of some difficulty but at this period and for long afterwards there was no road or path whatsoever and to add to the difficulty the mountains were already covered with snow it was a sublime scene to look up to them piled in great masses one upon another the front rank of dazzling whiteness while those which arose behind them caught a rosy tint from the setting of a clear wintry sun ben cruachan superior in magnitude and seeming the very citadel of the genius of the region rose high above the others showing his glimmering and scathed peak to the distance of many miles the followers of montrose were men not to be daunted by the sublime yet terrible prospect before them many of them were of that ancient race of highlanders who not only willingly made their couch in the snow but considered it as effeminate luxury to use a snowball for a pillow plunder and revenge lay beyond the frozen mountains which they beheld and they did not permit themselves to be daunted by the difficulty of traversing them montrose did not allow their spirits time to subside he ordered the pipes to play in the van the ancient pibroch entitled hogel nambo etc that is we come through snowdrift to drive the prey the shrilling sounds of which had often struck the vales of the lennox with terror it is the family march of the macfarlands a warlike and predatory clan who inhabited the western banks of loch lomond see waverley note fifteen 
the troops advanced with the nimble alacrity of mountaineers and were soon involved in the dangerous pass through which ronald acted as their guide going before them with a select party to track out the way the power of man at no time appears more contemptible than when it is placed in contrast with scenes of natural terror and dignity the victorious army of montrose whose exploits had struck terror into all scotland when ascending up this terrific pass seemed a contemptible handful of stragglers in the act of being devoured by the jaws of the mountain which appeared ready to close upon them even montrose half repented the boldness of his attempt as he looked down from the summit of the first eminence which he attained upon the scattered condition of his small army the difficulty of getting forward was so great that considerable gaps began to occur in the line of march and the distance between the van centre and rear was each moment increased in a degree equally incommodious and dangerous it was with great apprehension that montrose looked upon every point of advantage which the hill afforded in dread it might be found occupied by an enemy prepared for defence and he often afterwards was heard to express his conviction that had the passes of strathfillan been defended by two hundred resolute men not only would his progress have been effectually stopped but his army must have been in danger of being totally cut off security however the bane of many a strong country and many a fortress betrayed on this occasion the district of argyle to his enemies the invaders had only to contend with the natural difficulties of the path and with the snow which fortunately had not fallen in any great quantity the army no sooner reached the summit of the ridge of hills dividing argyleshire from the district of breadalbane than they rushed down upon the devoted vales beneath them with a fury sufficiently expressive of the motives which had dictated a movement so difficult and hazardous montrose divided his army into three bodies in order to produce a wider and more extensive terror one of which was commanded by the captain of clan ronald one entrusted to the leading of colkitto and the third remained under his own direction he was thus enabled to penetrate the country of argyle at three different points resistance there was none the flight of the shepherds from the hills had first announced in the peopled districts this formidable eruption and wherever the clansmen were summoned out they were killed disarmed and dispersed by an enemy who had anticipated their motions major dalgetty who had been sent forward against inverary with the few horse of the army that were fit for service managed his matters so well that he had very nearly surprised argyle as he expressed it inter pocula and it was only a rapid flight by water which saved that chief from death or captivity but the punishment which argyle himself escaped fell heavily upon his country and clan and the ravages committed by montrose on that devoted land although too consistent with the genius of the country and times have been repeatedly and justly quoted as a blot on his actions and character 
argyle in the meantime had fled to edinburgh to lay his complaints before the convention of estates to meet the exigence of the moment a considerable army was raised under general bailey a presbyterian officer of skill and fidelity with whom was joined in command the celebrated sir john urey a soldier of fortune like dalgetty who had already changed sides twice during the civil war and was destined to turn his coat a third time before it was ended argyle also burning with indignation proceeded to levy his own numerous forces in order to avenge himself of his feudal enemy he established his headquarters at dunbarton where he was soon joined by a considerable force consisting chiefly of his own clansmen and dependents being there joined by bailey and urey with a very considerable army of regular forces he prepared to march into argyleshire and chastise the invader of his paternal territories but montrose while these two formidable armies were forming a junction had been recalled from that ravaged country by the approach of a third collected in the north under the earl of seaforth who after some hesitation having embraced the side of the covenanters had now with the assistance of the veteran garrison of inverness formed a considerable army with which he threatened montrose from inverness shire enclosed in a wasted and unfriendly country and menaced on each side by advancing enemies of superior force it might have been supposed that montrose's destruction was certain but these were precisely the circumstances under which the active and enterprising genius of the great marquis was calculated to excite the wonder and admiration of his friends the astonishment and terror of his enemies as if by magic he collected his scattered forces from the wasteful occupation in which they had been engaged and scarce were they again united ere argyle and his associate generals were informed that the royalists having suddenly disappeared from argyleshire had retreated northwards among the dusky and impenetrable mountains of lochaber the sagacity of the generals opposed to montrose immediately conjectured that it was the purpose of their active antagonist to fight with and if possible to destroy seaforth ere they could come to his assistance this occasioned a corresponding change in their operations leaving this chieftain to make the best defence he could urey and bailey again separated their forces from those of argyle and having chiefly horse and lowland troops under their command they kept the southern side of the grampian ridge moving along eastward into the county of angus resolving from thence to proceed into aberdeenshire in order to intercept montrose if he should attempt to escape in that direction argyle with his own levies and other troops undertook to follow montrose's march so that in case he should come to action either with seaforth or with bailey and urey he might be placed between two fires by this third army which at a secure distance was to hang upon his rear for this purpose argyle once more moved towards inverary 
having an opportunity at every step to deplore the severities which the hostile clans had exercised on his dependents and country whatever noble qualities the highlanders possessed and they had many clemency in treating a hostile country was not of the number but even the ravages of hostile troops combined to swell the number of argyle's followers it is still a highland proverb he whose house is burnt must become a soldier and hundreds of the inhabitants of these unfortunate valleys had now no means of maintenance save by exercising upon others the severities they had themselves sustained and no future prospect of happiness excepting in the gratification of revenge his bands were therefore augmented by the very circumstances which had desolated his country and argyle soon found himself at the head of three thousand determined men distinguished for activity and courage and commanded by gentlemen of his own name who yielded to none in those qualities under himself he conferred the principal command upon sir duncan campbell of ardenvor and another sir duncan campbell of auchenbreck this last character is historical an experienced and veteran soldier whom he had recalled from the wars of ireland for this purpose the cold spirit of argyle himself however clogged the military councils of his more intrepid assistants and it was resolved notwithstanding their increased force to observe the same plan of operations and to follow montrose cautiously in whatever direction he should march avoiding an engagement until an opportunity should occur of falling upon his rear while he should be engaged with another enemy in front End of chapter seventeen